underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, on a day of excitement and nerves across all of North American soccer. How you doing? Nerves? I'm doing well. I was loose as a goose, my friend. How are you doing? That's right. You L.A. residents, you knew. You knew L.A. would be... Knew. One of the cities included to host games for the 2026 World Cup. Not everybody so lucky. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in this show. So much to get to. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to be joined by Christina Alexander. She's in New York City. She was at the announcement, so she'll give us that first-person perspective. Uh, we got a bevy of bubble players to talk about for both the United States and Mexico. We got some history in USL. Uh, Kobe Henry is making the jump from USL to Europe. He's going to join us here on the show. Tobin Heath has a new home in the National Women's Soccer League. And Herc, we also have an anniversary that some of our viewers are going to love and some of our viewers are going to absolutely hate. Oh, I'm not going to repeat what the uh, producer just whispered in my ear. All right, uh, let's Family get to the program. story of the day. The announcement, Herc, of which cities will be hosting games for the 2026 World Cup, which we know will be split between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. The announcement going down on Monday afternoon. We're going to have three Mexican cities, two Canadian cities, and 11, Hurt, count them, 11 U.S. cities. Look at that, Gianni Infantino even getting in on the fun. So let's get to the, uh, the list for Mexico. Mexico City, which means a third time for the Azteca hosting the World Cup. Guadalajara and Monterrey as well for Canada, no Edmonton, Toronto and Vancouver getting in for the United States, Seattle, San Francisco, and L.A. Herc, those were the, uh, the Western teams. Center of the country, Dallas, Houston, I guess they count Atlanta in the center of the country, and Kansas City that didn't make our list. Very interesting. Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, New York, New Jersey round out the list. Missing out, D.C., Baltimore, Denver, Cincinnati, Orlando, Nashville, and as we mentioned, Edmonton. So, Herc, what do you think? Did FIFA get it right? Let me get this straight. The United States has 11 cities, 11, mm -hmm. and not one of those is the Mecca, the state, the Mecca of U.S. soccer, where the U.S. men's national team puts about 200 and some games a year. Not one where they have a home field advantage is selected. Are you surprised by that? Uh, I, I, hold on. It's not that I'm surprised. What kind of clown show are you running here? Okay. <laughs> and hold on. Not only that, not only that. Not one of the cities selected was used for World Cup qualifying for the U.S. men's national team this cycle. What are you telling fans? What is the ultimate goal here? I thought it was growing the game. This, to me, blows my mind. It screams ignorance, incompetence. And I don't know if it's FIFA saying, hey, you guys need to come to your senses, or it's U.S. soccer dropping the ball here. Well, I mean, they're different goals, right? U.S. soccer, when they pick where they're going to have a World Cup qualifier, trying for something very specific. And oftentimes, Herc, that's less people in the stadium, right? They want to control who's in the stadium. For FIFA, it's a totally different goal. They want to get as many people into the stadium. So the fact that there's no venues that the U.S. men's national team use for World Cup qualifying as World Cup venues, I mean, that makes total sense to me. You're talking about Talk two about very different pursuits. You don't, have to, you don't have to play in those small stadiums. Uh, evidence of that is Kansas City. They're not going to play at Children's Mercy Park. They're going to play Arrowhead. Arrowhead's as old as it comes. That's where they will play. So that can't be the reason. You want to go back to Ohio. 
That's how it is. Herc I want an explanation of why Ohio. it was Ohio. You're trying to limit fans. What fans are you trying to limit? Um, I'm interested here, right? Because obviously for me, the, 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 the dagger, the devastating blow is that D.C. doesn't get it. In some ways, I'm surprised, but I can't really say I'm, I'm all that surprised, right? I, I want to yell and say that FIFA got this wrong. But this isn't about the, the soccer interests or the, or the people of D.C. A lot of people in D.C. right now are, are shouting about Premier League ratings because when the Premier League ratings come out, uh, D.C. is always number one. We've been the home of the national team for a long time, right? RFK was kind of the unofficial home for the U.S. men's national team and even the U.S. women for a long time. Plus, forget about the, the incredibly diverse immigrant community. The bottom line is, though, Herc, we don't have our infrastructure. I mentioned on the last show we don't have a stadium, and I could have told you when D.C. went from having their own bid to a last-minute pivot to be like, hey, Baltimore, y'all have a stadium? Can, can we get in on that? I could have told you it was Cook. Still, I, I, am, I, know, I know you don't care about my feelings. I don't. But I'm bummed because this is only the second time ever, as far as I can tell, uh, that the capital city of a country where the World Cup is is not getting a bid. Where's the first one? West Germany, 74. There you go. There you go. Look at you always testing me, always testing me. Uh, there is no question that could test our next guest. She is Christina Alexander, as we mentioned. She is in New York City. She was there for all the drama. First things first, uh, paint the picture for us a little bit, Christina. Tell us who you saw, or what you saw, and maybe take us to those moments of like real tension. Because I'll tell you what, uh, I was in Russia when they announced that U.S. was going to get this World Cup. I saw some tears. I saw some big <laughs> hugs from people, some real elation. I wonder what you saw tonight. Well, I care about your feelings, Sebi, and of course I care about Herc's feelings, but in, in this sense, it was, it was tension. I know Herc said he wasn't nervous, but there was a lot of nervousness around it. Who's going to get it? Who's going to stay out? The mm. main surprise was Washington, D.C. I know you guys mentioned it, and, and there was chatter about that. The capital of the United States has been left out, and that was one of the questions for Gianni Infantino, one of, of course, the main person that we saw today, of course, Victor Motigliano, uh, for CONCACAF representation. But more than anything, D.C., and they asked him, and he said, well, there is going to be a, a fan fest in the National Mall, and, of course, all of the cities that were left out, which, of course, include... Big cities like Denver, Cincinnati, Nashville, who has the biggest soccer-specific stadium. Of course, you guys know that home opener recently for Nashville Soccer Club. And that was kind of the consolation prize, if that's a good way hmm. to maybe name it, that all the cities that weren't named, including, of course, Edmonton for Canada, were still in some way going to be involved in this historic 2026 World Cup, guys. Uh, Christina, I'm interested because I work in this Deportes world as well and a lot of my colleagues were very interested about opening games, opening ceremonies because they're like, listen, Mexico yeah. is now going to host its third World Cup. It's going to be a historic nation. They got to have the opening game. They got to have the opening ceremonies. Uh, who's going to have it? What's going to happen? So, Gian Infantino didn't want to confirm where specifically it was going to be and that I, I asked him about the final if it was going to be in Mexico City because he was so effervescent about the fact that Mexico City was going to be center stage in the Estadio Seca and how the fans just really vibrate what soccer is and what World Cup is and so much history in that place Pelé Maradona to casually name two of the biggest soccer names in history and he said well there are going to be multiple games so you know you can be a little bit calm with that situation speaking of course to the Mexican fans but he said I can't confirm there's going to be an opening multiple openings so mm -hmm. 
maybe speculating on the fact that there's going to be three, one for the United States, one for Canada, and one for Mexico. This is different, guys. He also said that, of course, with the 48 teams, there's going to be 80 finals. And he said, well, to compare it kind of and to uh, allude or kind of touch on the American fans, it's going it's going to be like hosting 80 Super Bowls. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. 80 Super Bowls. Man, we are never going to run out of content <laughs> when it comes to the, uh, the 2026 World Cup. It's fascinating stuff. So now that we know where the games will be played, the next question is where will the big games be played? There's some massive stadiums if you look at this list. Uh, Christina, what was the buzz there in New York? Like who might get some semifinals? Who might get the final? I mean, when you talk about buzz, when you talk about a city that never sleeps, of course, it's New York City. And alluding to maybe it could be New York, maybe it could be, of course, New York, New Jersey, in that joint candidacy, of course, one of the confirmed, which would have been weird, right? The, the announcement in New York City, and, and you're not going to have New York or New Jersey as uh, as one of the official host cities. But it could be, you know, talk about MetLife possibly, which was kind of the buzz around that as well. The final, he mentioned Mexico City, he mentioned Atlanta, but then it, uh, I I think Infantino kind of knew what he was doing. He's like, maybe I'm trying to, I'm giving too much away. He mentioned LA, he mentioned Atlanta, he mentioned Dallas. And he was like, of course I have to mention all of the, all of the other candidates. The 16 candidates in total are part of that list, which of course we know was going to be his response. Hey, where's the final going to be played? Well, there are your 16 candidates if you want to choose one to maybe be your favorite. But to answer your question, nothing official guys and he said with time that's what they're going to decide and the decision also which was really interesting he said that they finalized this list last night so anything mm. could change in a new york minute <laughs> all right hey before we let you go forget what infantino says what do you think where would you want the world cup final <laughs> to be played you can pick any of the cities Estadio Azteca, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's historic already to have Mexico there for the third time in their history. We've already, we've already seen two amazing finals in 1970 and 1986. Why not make it for 2026, 40 years later? Wow, what a uh, special story that would be. You mentioned the 80 Super Bowls, 60 of them to be played in the United States, 10 of them to be played in Canada, 10 of them to be played in Mexico. There she is, Christina Alexander, joining us from New York City. Thanks, as always, for the time. is Bennett finding space and finding the cross towards Campbell! An early goal for Costa Rica! Inside three minutes, Campbell strikes! And there is the full-time whistle. Costa Rica have done it! Solo Dios sabe lo que significa para mí la selección. Y al final siempre paga ese amor. Enough about 2026. What about 2022? Costa Rica and New Zealand. Tuesday in the Intercontinental Playoff. Herc, they played this game in Qatar in June. The heat. Ah, the, only thing, the only thing you can count on with Costa Rica, man. Joel Campbell going to come up huge. Yeah, Joel Campbell's going to come up huge. And what about this, Seb? You tell me. Is it a foul there? Because play goes on and then, uh-oh, uh-oh. It looks like a goal to me. But we're going to call it back. Yep, New Zealand thought they had their equalizer, but this was ruled a foul. I think they got it right, yeah. Yeah, Duarte's being pulled down. I think they got it right in the end. And look, it's Keylor Navas in Costa Rica, 1-0 win. How many times have you seen that?
Absolutely. Yeah, New Zealand with a couple of big calls that didn't go their way. But in the end, Costa Rica get the job done in the Intercontinental Playoff as they punch their ticket to Qatar. Last spot in the tournament. They're into Group E with Spain, Germany, and Japan. The SPI giving Costa Rica a 9% chance to advance. Hurt, what percentage chance are you giving Rosticos to advance? You're greater or less than 9%? You're Where are you going? Over under. There's a chance. I am going greater than 9%. I don't mm-hmm. care what the SPI says. I know what Costa Rica is about. Costa Rica in the second half of the Octagonal World Cup qualifying was the best team in CONCACAF. And they did one thing very well. They defended. They defended in that second half like most teams wish they defended the whole process. It was unreal. And it's usually Keylor Navas who has to make a big save or two. Now listen, they've been in this position before. The group of death, the group of death. There's no chance to get now. We saw it in 2014. It was Italy, England, Uruguay. What happened? It's the Ticos. It's Keylor Navas coming out. And I could see that happening again. They play a style that's just so conducive for a tournament setting, they defend. All of them will defend. And in transition, it's usually through the speed of Joel Campbell. Can they keep it up? Mm. It's a lot. It's a lot for those legs. Uh, Brian Reese was a factor in this uh, game uh, to make it to the World Cup. I don't know how much more Brian Reese has or if you want to rely on a player like Brian Reese at that age. But what I do know is this team plays a style conducive. You don't want to be in a, in a tournament in a group phase with Germany and with Spain. I get that. Nobody wants to see those two th- teams and think I have a chance. But Sunton tells me Costa Rica uh, likes their chances. I would love to yell at you about 2014 and say it's not the same team anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of is. Um, and, and, and maybe that's the problem. Look, it's a really tough group. I think we focus on Spain and Germany, who are, you know, on paper, miles, miles ahead of Costa Rica and everybody else uh, in CONCACAF. Don't forget about Japan. They've gotten out of the group in two out of the last three yeah. and three out of the last five World Cups. So you got, you got three really good teams in that group, man. I, I got to give them less than 9%. I think both you and the SPI are being, are being generous. I think barring a Kaylor Navas you're miracle, Costa Rica don't hater. get out of this group. You're, and not I, just one miracle, probably three. Your disdain for the Ticos is unreal. Oh, right? my it's, gosh. It's, I, <laughs> unreal. Shout out to my very good, close friend, Christopher Lee Castillo, who's Costa Rican there. There you have it. So don't judge. Don't judge, Herc. All right, let's take a look then. Uh, Had Costa Rica's past World Cup experiences, as we mentioned, 2018, they go out in the group stage. But how about that run in 2014? Historic, made it all the way to the quarterfinals. Their first appearance back in 1990, getting to the round of 16. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. More action from Tuesday, Herc. U.S. away against El Salvador in CONCACAF Nations League action in San Salvador. The pitch and the conditions, big talking point in this one, as was this goal. Alexander Larin beating Ethan Horvath to the near post. Larin saw him cheating. Ethan Horvath, where are you going? Take that, the 1-0. Paul Ariola sees red here. What would you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a bit harsh, uh, but this is the risk you take when you leave your feet, especially in CONCACAF, especially playing away from home. He got caught. 
U.S. down to 10 men. El Salvador down to 10 men. Ronald Gomez hauling down Yunus Musa. Yunus Musa was everywhere this match, and the reaction here after getting put down was priceless. 91st minute. Jordan Morris skying for the header, the assist, Luca De La Torre. Go ahead, Luca De La Torre! And Jordan Morris coming to the rescue. Here's Greg Berhalter after the 1-1 draw. You know, the group grows with moments like this. Uh, after the game, you know, Jordan Was Wa Morris walks into the locker room, everyone starts cheering. You know, everyone's uniform is a, is a dark brown color. Um, you know, the shoes are a mess. The, staff's, the staff is, is um, all dirty. I mean, this is what builds teams. And again, you know, at halftime, the message was stay calm. Here's what, something we're going to focus on. We'll change our shape just a little bit, but we got to keep competing and we got to take the com competing to a different level. And the guys did that. Hurt Greg Berhalter mentioned the uniforms, the laundry. He was not exaggerating. Here's some of the images. I'm sure you saw the picture posted by Christian Pulisic of his dirty, dirty socks. Uh, but the U.S. coming away with a point in the slop in San Salvador. All right, Herc. Might be uh, tough in a game like this to draw too many conclusions, but what's your biggest takeaway from the 1-1 against El Salvador? You know, I've criticized this U.S. men's national team before for its toughness. I called them soft. Mm. I call them soft because of Greg Berhalter. I've seen plenty of games where they've played where guys like Christian Pulisic, guys like Giovanni Reina, guys on that team have been kicked, have been pushed, almost bullied at times by other opposition in World Cup qualifying, and they've not really stood up for themselves. Maybe that's not their game. Maybe they're more finesse. Maybe they're more on the ball. They don't have that grit, that fight, and that was one of the problems I had. They had all the talent in the world, but they were lacking things that the U.S. men's national of past were known for, that spirit, that fight, that heart. These weren't ideal circumstances. The field, mm -hmm. the rain, the opponent, everything you may want, the red card that happened, you threw it their way, the early goal you give up and how soft the goal was, the goal that you gave up, and they battled through. Now, they may have marquee wins, but they never had a marquee moment where they battled through like something mm. like this. Well, they finally have it. I saw for the first time that fight, that heart. I saw for that first time that willingness and determination to get through no matter the circumstance. I take that from this game. Hmm. Okay, yeah, and I think that's pretty much the, the story that Greg Berhalter is, is saying in his post-match press conference, right? This, this team proves something to me in less than ideal circumstances. I think we got to give Greg Berhalter a lot of credit here, not necessarily for the game, but managing the window, right? Uh, we talked about the decision to bring the A team, yeah. right? If we're going to criticize Tata Martino for not doing it, we got to give credit to Greg Berhalter for doing it. But it's not just that. It's the decision to start the A team against El Salvador and do it in, I think, what are very risky conditions, right? If somebody had gotten hurt, Greg Berhalter probably would have been in for some criticism. That, that was a risk there to, to play that team in those circumstances. But he got some real important answers on some guys. And so I think we have to give him a lot of credit, Herc. In the past, when you've criticized this team for being soft, you've left it at the manager's feet and not yeah. the player's feet. So I think we got to give Berhalter some credit for allowing this group to prove that they're not soft in your eyes. Yeah, I never said he didn't deserve credit. I mean, you're absolutely right about the window. While we're criticizing Tata Martino in Mexico for allowing their A-teamers to go off on vacation, here's Greg Berhalter saying, Christian Pulisic, I know that there's a lot of uncertainty for you. I know it's been a long season. 
but go play in Cuscatlan. Uh, here, here's him saying, Weston McKinney, I know you're coming back from injury and Juventus may not want you playing in this type of game, but go out there and I want to see what it's like for you. So yeah, a lot of credit to Greg Berhalter for sticking to his guns and playing the way he did or playing the lineup that he did. Uh, I don't think we've ever lacked uh, criticizing or giving credit here. Okay. All right. Speaking of Greg Berhalter, we heard some of his post-match comments, but not all of them. He had some very interesting ones about Haji Wright, who got the start against El Salvador. Let's listen in. You know, Jonathan, it's always difficult when, um, you know, when players get an opportunity and don't fully capitalize on it. It's not nice for a coach. It's not nice for the players. It's not nice for the group. Um, you know, we were all rooting for Haji to, to be a force. Um, we purposely played more direct in the first half because we thought he could be the force that would unsettle them. And it, it just wasn't his night tonight. And, um, you know, I, I, it doesn't rule him out for anything in the future. We don't work like that. You know, now it's about him going back to his club and, and continue to score goals and, and do his thing. Um, but, you know, it was an unlucky night for him tonight for sure. Herc, it sounds like shots fired. Are the shots warranted? Now, I've given Greg Berhalter his credit. Mm-hmm. This is where I need to... You about to take some away? <laughs> ask him, what does he gain by doing this? I've never heard Greg Berhalter express himself this way about any other player mm. in the U.S. men's national team. Now you're going to express yourself this way about Haji Wright, a guy who's on the outside looking in that you gave 45 minutes to in a mud pit? That he didn't take advantage of his situation, of the opportunity, you just handed it to him? What can you possibly gain by expressing yourself this way of Haji Wright? I've never heard him say anything like this about players like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner, any of the big players that you should lay responsibility on, or any of the players that you've handed a million of opportunities to, yet you're going to say this and say, it's a shame he didn't take care of his advantage. It's a shame he didn't take the opportunity handed to him about Haji Wright. Really? They're shots fired and they're not warranted. I have no idea what he wants out of this. Hmm. Yeah, or maybe what, what the expectation is that the player, I'm, I'm curious, you know, he mentions the, the locker room was upset. How would the locker room react to these, these harsh words? This is a pretty glaring criticism from the national team coach of a guy who, as you said, only got 45 minutes and really, you know, in, in the slop, right? Like, how are we really supposed to evaluate what he's capable of doing? You heard Burhalter there say it doesn't rule him out. Um, do you buy that? Because going into this game, we had kind of said last chance saloon for Haji, right? Like, if you don't do it here, how can we really move on and, and give you any of the few opportunities that are left? Again, just two games left in September. It would be ridiculous um, for us to buy that it doesn't rule him out. The next two games in September are to fine-tune pretty much a team that you think is already going to be there in Qatar. If him going on a goal-scoring streak excuse me, in Turkey only allowed him mop-up duty versus Morocco and 45 minutes in a mud pit versus El Salvador, what do you take us for? What, is he, what kind of run does he need to go on for him to actually be in September for you and take him seriously? Okay, so Haji Wright, I guess, would probably, I'm guessing here, get a stock down. But we've talked enough about Haji right throughout this window. So let's give some stock ups and stock downs. Not for the game against El Salvador, Herc. No, for the whole window. Your first stock up, stock down. Jesus Ferreira, where are you going? Stock up. Okay. Now, whether you think 
Jesus Ferreira is a starting nine or not is not the question. Whether you think he's received too many opportunities or not is not the question. Whether you think he's good enough or not to be in Qatar is not the question. This June camp, it's a clear stock up. The man played every single game. He's clearly a confidant of the coaching staff, of Greg Berhalter. He comes on and has done what very few in the history of the U.S. Men's National Team have done before, score four goals in a game. I don't care who it's against because that is who the U.S. Men's National Team has played throughout their history. And no nine in this program has scored goals. No nine. So he's scoring goals in MLS, and you could say whatever you want about the level of MLS, and he's scoring goals now here. And he happens to play and he happens to play a lot. It's a clear stock up. Now, it's not my stock up. It's not your stock up. It's stock up in the U.S. men's national team. This kid's going to Qatar in Greg Berhalter's mind. How could it not be stock up? Okay, stock up, but like a slight stock up, right? He didn't totally grab hold of this opportunity. He started, what, three of the four games? We, we can't say he dominated. We can't say he locked up the number nine job. Hold you on. can say stock up because other guys didn't show because he scored four against Grenada. But... But it's a slight stock up. He didn't lock down the job, and he had the opportunity to do that. I'm sorry, I answered the question. Is it slight stock up or is it stock up? It's stock up because he's the only nine doing it, Seven. That's the issue here. There are no other nines doing it. You can say, well, no other nine has gotten the opportunity. So if you don't let another nine get the opportunity, would that mean your stock is falling? Let's go from nines to the other end of the pitch. Goalies, Ethan Horvath. Stock up or stock down? Stock down. Listen, you mentioned last show that Nottingham Forest is looking for a new goalkeeper, and you brought up the possibility about Ethan Horvat being that man in the Premier League. And I said, if they didn't trust him at the championship level, what makes you think they're going to trust him at the Premier League level? Well, same goes for the U.S. men's national team. Greg Halter has never trusted him in a moment when both Matt Turner or Zach Steffen have been healthy. He's never been that guy. This is a game that you finally get Turner got two, uh, Sean Johnson got one, you got this one in El Salvador, and you mm. eat this goal. You're the only goalkeeper to give up a goal in June, and you eat it this way. You allow it this way. I think Ethan Horvat needed this more than we really want to admit. He may be a good guy. He may be a, a, a decent three, but that's not what he's gunning for. Well, this is a race that he wants as the World Cup number one, so you have to stay stock down. Yeah, and, and the, I think the number one race is, is totally gone now. Let, let's... I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. This, this could be really bad for Ethan Horvath. I know you're taking 26 players. Are you taking four goalies? Or are you no. still only taking no, no, three? Take three? So if, if we assume we know the first two, then it's Sean Johnson and Ethan Horvath. And if I'm going off the last international window, Sean Johnson is ahead of Ethan Horvath. And there's still five months to go. There could be another goalkeeper like Gaga Salonina who may come in there and maybe 2026 plays a factor in that. Mm. Mm. You talk about plays that make a career, send a guy to a World Cup, keep a guy from a World Cup. That goal in El Salvador for Ethan Horvath. All right, let's get to my stock ups and stock downs. Kind of similar story here with where I'm going. Jordan Morris. Now, this, this is controversial, right? Because I, I think you could slice this either way and you can make a pretty good case. I'm saying stock up, but I'm going to ask you if I'm right, her. Because really... I was not impressed with Jordan Morris so throughout this window up? because of the goal, because of the goal. If we're going to if we're going to act like coming from behind in the slop against El Salvador proves so much about this team and is important, then we have to put some value. We have to put some weight to the guy that scored the goal, the guy that scores the goal in the end. So um, 
maybe I'm exaggerating, but you've been in those shoes. You've been the guy trying to, to get onto the roster late. I very much feel Jordan Morris is a bubble guy right now. Is this play enough to get him off that bubble? No, it's not enough to get him off the bubble. And I love me some Jordan Morris. I was his teammate. I think he's an unbelievable person. And I've seen what he can do at the international level. We're talking about a guy who was nominated for U.S. Soccer Player of the Year three times. Three times. And the last time, I think he should have won it. He had just as many goals as Christian Pulisic and more assists. Five goals, six assists. But he's on the Aaron Long project. He's mm. there right now because Greg Berhalter has so much faith and trust in these guys that he's trying to see if they can come back to pre-injury form. He's exhausting all options with these guys, giving them every benefit of the doubt that he's not giving other players to see if they can be that player by Qatar. But you can't say stock up. Because this is a player that when we've seen him at his height, it's nowhere near right now. This is a player that's proven it before. Big goal, yes. Goal that's going to do wonders for his confidence, sure. But neither club nor country has he shown that it's stock up right now. And a lot, a lot, Herc, of competition at his position. All right, last stock up, stock down. Let's go to the defensive line right back. Reggie Cannon. Stock up or stock down, Herc? I'm he? going stock down, okay? Ooh. So he's, he started three of the four games, uh, including the two Nations League games, where I figure, like, okay, a guy like Reggie Cannon, you're playing in Europe, you should be dominant. I, I can't really say that he was dominant. I can't really say that he stood out to me in, in any positive way. And that, that right back is, you know, it's not easy to get playing time there. I, I think we all assume Serginho Dest is number one. DeAndre Yedlin's probably number two in that pecking order so is is Reggie Cannon third as a third right back you're 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 on the bubble and I don't think he helped his case too much this window there's an evident gap between Serginho Dest and the rest of the right backs and the question here is what if something happens to Anthony Robinson well the most logical decision would be Serginho Dest to the left side and then there's a right back race the reality is that Reggie Cannon has only factored as an important player in an important game uh, recently in what was the Gold Cup final, and he played, I believe that's the only start he had. He, he got yanked in the 65th minute. And if you look at World Cup qualifying, he had in the back end two games where he makes cameo appearances. He's not been involved in an important game for the U.S. men's national team as the guy. That goes in uh, definitely against him. This is a player that is battling with DeAndre Yellen, Joe Scally, and Shaq Moore. And I think it's an arms race that he's losing right now, so I would agree with you in the stock down. Look, we do stock up, stock down a lot with two games left between now and the World Cup and these four games now in, in the rearview mirror. This feels about as important a stock up, stock down uh, as we are going to do. I don't know if you saw this earlier. looks like we do have some info on who the U.S. will be playing in that September window. looks like it'll be Saudi Arabia in Spain, potentially Japan as well. What do you think of those matchups? Pretty tasty? Yeah, especially that Saudi Arabia one for mm -hmm. not just the U.S. men's nationally, but potentially Mexico to see what they got in store. There you go. Some advanced scouting for El Tri. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 
Speaking of, Mexico in action on Tuesday as well in CONCACAF Nations League. They were away at the office in Kingston against Jamaica, and they go down early thanks to Leon Bailey. Leon Bailey, there he is. This is a good ball. Uh, you got to get a little tighter right there. Cato Dominguez, I don't know what he's doing out there. That's probably Uriel Antuna leaving him uh, to roam free, but Leon Bailey get on the end of it, 1-0. Late in the first half, Luis Chavez off the set piece to Luis Romo. Very good goal from Luis Romo. There he is, the first goal for the Mexican national team. It's been a while since we said anything positive about Luis Romo. Wow, a set piece goal for Mexico? Somebody stop the presses. And as uh, breaking news, the game ends 1-1. Jamaica qualify for the 2023 Gold Cup as a result. All right, uh, look, Herc, Mexico, unlike the U.S., did not bring their A team. So basically everybody who is playing is a bubble player. So let's play a game then for bubble players, introducing a new segment here on Football Americas, one borrowed from our sister show, Ahora Nunca. It's called Trinder, as in Tinder, but for El All right, let's start with Luis Chavez, the 26-year-old midfielder for Pachuca. Are you swiping left or are you swiping right? Now, neither of us, we're both too old to have ever been on the dating apps. Left is bad, correct? And right is good? That's what I hear. Okay, okay. (laughs) Uh, Swipe right for sure. Okay. Uh, Luis Chavez is a very interesting player. Uh, Listen, when I look at the midfield, I'm talking starters. When you look at Hector Herrera, Andres Guardado, when you look at the players who could potentially be in there, Charlie Rodriguez, whatever the case may be, his skill set is unlike any other. A very cultured left foot, a set-piece specialist, a good motor, a box-to-box player, a player who gets in advanced positions and is very good at creating havoc, but he also has the vision to create for others. This is a player unlike many other players we've seen in that Mexico midfield, and he's good on both sides of the ball. You don't lose anything on the defensive side. I think this is a player that's going to cause Tata some serious problems, whether he thinks he's in or out. Yeah, you talk about a big plays that might get somebody on a plane. Um, set pieces is such a thing for Mexico that, that that set piece, that setup, I think, could be big for Luis Chavez. I love having a left foot, especially a left foot with more athleticism in that midfield. When you talk about a guy like Andres Guardado, he can hit from distance. And I think, too, you know, we always saw Tata Martino playing a 4-3-3. He's been a little bit more flexible of late. If he were to go to a 4-2-3-1, which we've seen a little bit of with the double pivot, Maybe you got Luis Chavez in there. He can still do it there. Double pivot, eight, whatever you want, double ten, he's a good player. He gives you a little bit of flexibility, so I'm definitely swiping right here too. All right, next on, Trinder, Jesus Gallardo, the left back. Herc, swiping right or swiping left? Um, Swiping left, and hopefully we swipe it for the last time for the sake of the Mm. Mexican national team. I'm left to wonder, when I go back and I look at the games in this cycle, what game have you said, ah, Jesus Gallardo? Yeah, Jesus Gallardo really played well. Jesus Gallardo, look at that ball. Jesus Gallardo, look at the defensive play. He's a liability defensively, and he does very little going forward these days. He's supposed to be there because going forward, he was supposed to provide so much. It's turned into a liability down that left-hand side, especially now that you have the emergence of Gerardo Arteaga in Belgium. I think this is a situation where you have to look past Jesus Gallardo, you have to start thinking about what potentially could be not only this World Cup, but the next World Cup. 
Now on the dating apps, right, you got to know your options, right? So I think I'd left back, as you mentioned, there are there are clearly better options to swipe right on. I, I love me some Ar Artiaga. I, I think he's been linked to Newcastle as the latest. Um, so that could be very exciting. Look, I, I would take uh, Aguirre. I would take Eric Aguirre, another Rayados left back, before I would take Gallardo. There are way better options at left back. Done with Gallardo, I'm with you. Swipe left and swipe left for good. Did you just say you're not breaking up with Gallardo until you have something better lined up? <laughs> I mean, basically. <laughs> isn't that how you do it on the dating apps? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right, next up, we're going to the other side of the defensive line. Right back, Kevin Alvarez. What do you think? Swipe right or swipe left? Swipe right. So he's another Pachuca player. And if you've heard Tata Martino express himself about these Pachuca <laughs> players, he always brings up the intensity. He always brings up the style of play. Mm -hmm. uh, they're international ready. Now, he's a very interesting player for me because not only is he great on the ball, he's got a good motor, he's got some decent speed, he strikes a good ball, uh, but the passing accuracy, the way he takes care of the ball. Listen, in a very tricky situation versus a very physical Jamaica, he had a 94% passing accuracy he only missed three passes he's just a very interesting player and when thrown into that mix with Jorge Sanchez who was very good in a few key games like the U.S. men's national team versus Christian Pulisic and Julian Alvarez who I think could be thrown into that mix it's just another name in that mix that I think is very interesting and will give Tata Martino plenty of headaches going forward. Julian Araujo. Yeah, our production uh, crew Araujo, apparently knows me. something about a potential transfer here yes, for Kevin Alvarez. Alvarez. We're, we're, uh, we're sending him to Arsenal already. I, I love it. Look, I, I love the way he plays. I love the way he gets forward. And I think, unlike at left back, the options at right back are, are, are not as are not as good for Mexico. So I think there, there's a little bit less competition there for Kevin Alvarez. I'm swiping right for sure on the young right back. All right, last one here on Trinder. All right. Uriel Antuna. Let me explain, okay? Now, when I look at this and I'm thinking like, okay, perfect fit? No, but probably a good time. Probably have a lot of fun. Now let me explain to you why we probably have a lot of fun. Because this man is chaotic for all the right reasons, Seth. I mean, yeah, it's got all the right qualities. All the you're right qualities for, yeah. of having mm -hmm. a good time. He may miss a lot He's not of here chances. for a good time. He's here for a fast time. <laughs> he may miss a lot of chances, but boy, does he get in some quality spots. Quality spots and lots of them that players like Tecatito Corona or even a nine like Raul Jimenez would only dream of. Why they get one chance mm -hmm. a game. This guy will get three or four, and he's a player. He's a player that creates so much havoc for him, for his teammates. I just see the potential of when Things are going crazy when the defensive is locked. The defense is locked. Your opponent is just very stiff that back there. He can open something up. He can be that channel for that chaos. Is is there an option on the dating apps? You're not ready to swipe right, but you don't want to eliminate them entirely. You don't want to give them the Gallardo, the full swipe left. Is there Senor a Senor producer? Is, hey, that, is, there, is that an option? Is, no. I go TVIE. No, exact um, thing. Man, I was so frustrated watching Antuna on, on Tuesday. You know, Mexico needs somebody who can finish, and you saw the chances there. Uh, he obviously missed out on a couple, I think what we would call, you know, sitters, right? Tap-ins. But damn, that speed is sexy. Damn, that speed is sexy. You know, that's something that Mexico doesn't have anywhere else. Uh, and so, yeah, I think you got to probably throw him on the airplane just to see if maybe late in the game is a super sub, right? And As he's a down super to pull sub, back a few he shots. He could help you. Let's talk about some transfer news, shall we, Hercules Gomez? Johan Vasquez, the Mexican defender going on loan from relegated Genoa to promoted Cremonese. 
Kind of feels like a lateral move. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm upset at Tata Martino because I'm convinced if he had showcased himself at the international level, his options would have been greater. Mm. So this is the best Mexican player in the Mexican national team pool that has to settle for a relegation battle team because Tata Martino didn't give him that platform. There's a reported option to buy for Cremonese of 10 million euros. He had been linked to some bigger clubs, Atalanta, Lazio, Fiorentina, but uh, in the end, it is Cremonese who are coming up from Serie B to Serie A. Let's take a look at uh, Vasquez's stats at Genoa in his one season with the team. Still on the books there, by the way. Of course, he made the move from Pumas last August. Johan Vasquez moving to Cremonese in Serie A. Let's check in elsewhere in CONCACAF. Honduras and Canada. More Nations League action and Herc, more condition talk. Uh, 13 minutes in, Honduras grabbed the lead through Kevin Lopez. It's a very good finish, a little miscommunication there, maybe a bit of a luck, but he brings this down the way he strikes it. Nothing you can do right there. Look at that, side netting. So Honduras through Kevin Lopez. Grabbing the one nothing lead. Crazy to think of how, how much this Honduran team struggled throughout World Cup qualifying. 78th minute, they get a second. Kervin Arriaga. Yeah, and Arriaga had a few chances. Probably off fault in the next goal we're going to see for Canada. But uh, this transitional change, if you will, generational shift for Honduras, paying dividends, uh, tough conditions. He gets his goal right there. Maybe a bit of fortune right there coming out the defender. Honduras taking a 2-0 lead. You mentioned the goal for Canada. It comes in the 86 from Jonathan David to make it 2-1. But in the end, not enough from Canada. They had a couple players sent off late. Let's hear from Herdman after the defeat. There was a heavy, heavy rainstorm about an hour before the game. It went on right until kickoff. Did you have any complaints that the game went ahead as quickly as it did? I just couldn't believe that, you know, you're going on the pitch with $80 million players and they're allowed to play in puddles, you know. Well, it's football, it's CONCACAF, you've, you've got to get on it. You know, so again, all credit the lads for, for just being up to the fight. You know, it's like trying to put a Formula One car on an off-roading track. I mean, that's, that's what it felt like every time, you know, we looked to play in certain areas that we could get our best players moving. We would either hold up or slide off the pitch, so. I mean, yeah, your wisdom doesn't grow on the good days. I mean, that's, that's it. $80 million players can't play in puddles. Herc, what do you think? Should John Herdman get lost, or is he speaking some truth? No, I should get lost. I didn't hear him complaining when Canada took Mexico and the U.S. Men's National Team and all these other teams to a frozen tundra on mm -hmm. turf. On turf, I didn't hear like, hey, we're going to take your 50, 60 million dollar players. Uh, and in Pulisic's case, I mean, I'm sure he rounded, what is it, 75 million dollar transfer for Dortmund. I didn't hear any of that. But now, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, the Canadian national team, they're too good to play in CONCACAF mm. conditions. They don't want to no longer revolt to what CONCACAF has always been. Like, Honduras can't control the weather. Like, that's not on the Honduran national team. They can't control what kind of weather happens. Just like you can't control what it's like in Edmonton. But you can't control to play in Edmonton. That you can do. And I heard nothing come out of John Herman's mouth when they took that, those climatic advantages to their favor. Can John Herman control his players? Banging on the ref's door after the game. What'd you make of that? Canada getting a little bit big for their britches after all their success of late? 
No, I don't know if big for their bridges, upset players. You can't do that. I'm sure they're upset. They should be more mm -hmm. upset of themselves because those are some defensive errors that cost those goals. Now, this happening here, I'm sure you're gonna hear hear about it from CONCACAF. Hey, this is serious, right? I don't know like what they're trying to get out of it. What do you think, the referee's gonna come out and answer you? Yeah, so I mean, that, that's kind of the point. They're banging on the, on the referee's I guess dressing room there. I, I, I would think this would draw some type of response from CONCACAF, FIFA. I mean, you're heading into a World Cup. This type of behavior could cost you big time. Yeah, I don't know about that, Seb. I don't think we're gonna get there. I'm sorry, you cannot, you cannot bang on a referee's door. That's trying to intimidate the referee after the game. That's serious, sir. Come on. There's definitely gonna be punishment. To intimidate the referee. I don't know how. Well, what are you trying to punishment. do? What are you banging on the door for? I don't even know if that's a referee's door. Man. That's okay. what we've been told. I'm just saying. You don't, I don't believe know the reports? It... Do you have different reports? Do you have sources that tell you that wasn't the referee's door? No, I just don't know what's okay. gonna come of it. I don't think anything serious is gonna come of it. No? I'm willing to bet. Okay. How much you want to bet? And what's serious? You said to jeopardize the World Cup, so you tell me. Yeah, suspension, dude. You're gonna get I bet you there's a suspension coming out of that. For whom? For the players that are banging on the door. How is that jeopardizing a World Cup? Well, if you get suspended for a World Cup game, you're not playing in the World Cup. Oh, for the World Cup? Yeah, I'll bet they won't get suspended for the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, well, what if you don't play a game leading up to the World Cup and you don't get a chance to prove how great you are? <laughs> hey. Hey. There you go. Speaking of World Cups, why don't we flash back? 20 years ago today, Hercules Gomez. 20 years ago today. The number one of all the dos aceros at the 2002 World Cup round of 16, U.S. beating Mexico and knocking El Tri out of the tournament. Uh, I remember it very well. I'm sure you do. Uh, where were you when this dos acero came to pass? I was in Las Vegas watching this game with my father. I still remember. It must have been like, I don't know, 2 in the morning. Uh, I think so. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, this kid who just scored the second goal is my age. He's from Southern California. He's playing in the World Cup and how like that opened my eyes to the possibility of wanting to play in the World Cup. And I still remember the look on my father's eyes. Like, I can't believe it's the United States that just beat us. I can't believe we had an opportunity to go to El Quinto Partido and it's the US who didn't allow that to happen. That's the one most vivid memory I have. Yeah, in the rivalry, it's interesting because we, we had a, a, quite a fiery production meeting today when this was brought up. You have to understand, like, most of our team is Mexican-American, so this cuts right on the line of this rivalry. Um, it is the deepest wound in the rivalry, no doubt, right? Yeah. The only way that Mexico could ever kind of equalize this, I think, would be to beat the U.S. in a World Cup. Outside of that, I don't think there's anything... Maybe, Herc, maybe if Mexico were to win a World Cup before the U.S., that would erase some of the Absolutely. pain of this. But other than that, other than that, a semifinal, not a quarterfinal for me, it would have to be winning the World Cup to officially be able to, to take that trump card out of the U.S. fans' hands. No, just honestly beating them in any World Cup, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but honestly, <laughs> Osvaldo Sanchez said it best. One day, he, this is what he said, one day God would put them in a place of vengeance against the mm -hmm. U.S. men's national team in that exact same setting in the World Cup, and that's what it'll come down to. Now, if you make a semifinal in the World Cup, trust me, don't worry about the U.S. <laughs> you're, you're on to bigger and better things. We had the, uh, the GOAT discussion recently for U.S. soccer. This game, for me, like I, and I think for people of my age, is probably what gives those who would give Landon Donovan the edge, the edge. Because this game, of all the performances against Mexico, that goal... 
Um, and, and everything that it meant to me is huge. So I think I think that goal from Landon Donovan to me is when you, because I heard it, you and Mal were having the conversation while I was on vacation. But that goal to me puts him above Dempsey. You know, it's it's funny because when I look at the other GOAT in the Rafa Marquez-Hugo mm. Sanchez discussion, one of the things I always hear against Rafa Marquez is him getting red carded in this game. Yeah. There yeah. are a lot of people that didn't like that he let go of his emotions that way and got red carded. There are some people that thought he should probably hit him harder. <laughs> sure, sure. If it was uh, the top of Landon Donovan's career, it was uh, probably the bottom there for, for Rafa Marquez. I will also remind you, Herc, that if VAR had existed, it would have been a totally different no, the story. the 86 World Cup, yeah. Totally different story. John O'Brien's handball. Look it up on YouTube if you've forgotten. There it is. 20 Torsten years Prince. ago today that the U.S., Bounced Mexico at the 2002 World Cup. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Part of the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Herc, we got history in the USL. 18-year-old defender Kobe Henry has been transferred from Orange County SC to Stade de Reims in the French top flight. ESPN reporting the transfer fee is somewhere around $700,000, which would make it the largest fee in USL history. How about that for Kobe Henry? A little bit more on the player himself. He just turned 18 back in late April, made 30 appearances with Orange County. In fact, he's part of their title-winning team in the USL Championship. At international level, he's represented the US at the under 17 and under 20 levels, and just recently he was part of a uh, US U19 uh, team that got some games in as well. And how about this? Kobe Henry joins us now on Football Americas. Great, Kobe, to have you on the show. First things first, man, how you feeling after this, this big money move? Yeah, I feel really great. Thank you guys so much for having me. So I'm, I'm really interested in kind of the last few days before this deal gets done. Kobe, take us through all the travel, because I hear you've been zipping back and forth and doing a lot to, to get this over the line. Yeah, so I, I've just been traveling uh, back and forth trying to get this, this deal sorted, and I uh, just really wanted to make sure that this was the right fit for me. Uh, so, yeah. Kobe, you talk about making sure it's the right fit for you. What's this process like when you're deciding? What certain factors come into play, the right situation, the right club for you? Yeah, well, I definitely needed to know that this club had the right plan for me and that I would be able to develop a lot and as well as be pushed by my teammates, be pushed by my coaches and, and be at a place where they would push me on to hopefully play first team football. So this plan about playing first-team football, that's what attracted you. Is, it, is, it, is there a specific plan about how you get there? Um, I just really think I need to work hard every day. Uh, I need to be open to learning new things, to learning new tactics, and work very hard every day to try to uh, achieve that goal. Kobe, what do you know about this club, and, and why does it really feel like the right fit for you from a development standpoint? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this club. Uh, I especially like how they push their young players onwards and give lots of young players opportunities to go out there and succeed with the first team. And hopefully I could be one of those players next season. 
I gotta ask you, you're going to the French League, man. There's some, there's some big superstars in the French League, but I, I don't want to put any names out there. Who's the number one guy you're looking forward to going against? I mean, uh, of course, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get to this stage, but I think anyone would say playing against Messi would, would be a dream come true. You know, Kobe, I'm interested how you got into the USL. Uh, that's kind of a pathway to Europe not really taken. So how is it you landed in USL and maybe how in USL impacted you to be ready for Europe? Because as my understanding, uh, Michael Orozco was one of your teammates. He was a teammate of mine on the national team. Okay, yeah. Um, for me, going into the USL was uh, a really good move. Uh, it, it worked out well. And I, I looked at it as a league where I could develop and, and learn a lot of new things as well as get game opportunities and, and learn every day, day in and day out and on the weekends and, and just grow and develop as a player. I'm interested there because you bounced around some MLS academies, right? Orlando and Inner Miami. What happened there? Why weren't you able to break through and why did it work then at Orange County? Um, well, I guess the, these clubs just might not have had a, a plan for me and I just chose to take a different route uh, in my career. So, uh, yeah. When, when we talk about USL, is it just about playing or did you think there was something missing in, in your uh, repertoire, if you will? Well, I believe, especially as a center back, it's so important to, to learn new information about the game as well as learn how to play with maybe more physical guys, faster guys. Um, so I was looking forward to going into a league and playing with grown men and also being able to learn off of guys such as Michael Roscoe and Rob Kane and older guys on my team. Kobe, I'm curious about your time with the national team. Uh, you're a young guy, but you were in with the senior team back in December. What was that like? It was great. It was a really good learning experience uh, to get to know uh, how the team works. And I'm just very grateful to be able to have been selected for that camp. And, and hopefully I could work hard and earn a spot in the camp again. You know, in the past, Kobe, we've seen Greg Berhalter and the national team and their representatives make contact with USL players. Jonathan mm -hmm. Gomez, for example, a defender as well. Uh, what about the national team, the senior national team in your future? Any contact, uh, any ambitions there? Uh, well, of course, I would love to represent my country going forward, and it, it would really be a dream come true. So I'm going to make sure to work hard every day, and hopefully I'll be able to get my opportunity. What about your times with the youth national team? Uh, I see you got U17, U20 experience. As I said, you were just playing with the U19s. What's that setup like, and, and who are you playing with that we might know? Yeah, the, the youth national team system is a really great setup. Um, uh, hope, uh, gratefully, I was able to be in a men's camp, and I was able to see how uh, everything lines up from U17, U19, U20 to the men's camp. So uh, it's really interesting to see how uh, everything kind of is a step-by-step -step process to, to build your way up, um, and as well as players uh, that – you all may know it. maybe guys going over abroad, uh, such as Jonathan Gomez and, and Justin Che, Kevin Perez, guys like this. Kobe, we got a lot of uh, people that watch us uh, that maybe don't watch uh, USL week in, week, week out. For those people, how would you describe Kobe Henry? What type of a player is he? Mm. 
Yeah, well, I, w- I would say that I try to be the most complete center back. Uh, uh, I would say that I'm a physical and a, an aggressive defender, and I also try to have good composure on the ball and, and, and uh, good playing ability on the ball. All right, let's get to what really matters here because the soccer talk is great. Let's talk about some money. Herc, help me out here. When, when you do a big transfer, the player gets what, like 10%? 10%, sir. Okay, get that so money, Henry. I'm, I'm not good at math, but that's, that's a quick 70K to our man Kobe Henry. So um, I don't know if it's going to be 70K, but what's your first big purchase going to be, my man? What are you going to do now that you got some, some Euro money? I'm not sure, honestly. Uh, <laughs> me personally, I'm just going to focus on playing well and, and training hard. That's there it man. is. Kobe Henry got a, got a good head on his shoulders, man. I'd be out spending that money uh, as soon as it hit my bank account. But, uh, Kobe, we appreciate you coming on the show here, and great luck in France. Thank you guys so much. All right, from USL Hot Stove to NWSL Hot Stove, Tobin Heath is joining OL Reign. Uh, they traded two draft picks and $50,000 in allocation money to Racing Louisville for her rights. The 34-year-old has a contract for the rest of the season and an option for 2023. Herc, this could be a path back to the national team for Heath, who, of course, was left off the recent roster. Yeah, absolutely. But wait, she never played for Louisville, but they needed to pay for her? That's how it works. You know American soccer. Busy week for OL Reign. Meg Linehan of The Athletic Reporting Club have also added Canadian international Jordan Wiedema from PSG. Wiedema confirming on social media she is leaving the Paris club. She won a gold medal with Canada at Tokyo. Look out for O.L. Reign, Herc. Hey, you know that's my team, O.L. Reign. Seattle. Wait, what happened to Angel City? I thought, well, I'm still waiting on that shirt. Oh, okay. All right. TBD, TBD on Herc's NWSL allegiances. TBD on the NWSL table as well. Here's what it looks like. Remember the top six Make the playoffs right now. OL Reign is six. They're going to add Kim Little too, so watch out for a push from them. San Diego and Chicago tied for first. Chicago has played one last game. NWSL to Major League Soccer. MLS have signed a 10-year broadcast deal with Apple, Herc. Here's some of the bullet points. The league is guaranteed a minimum of $2.5 billion with a B over the next 10 years. MLS will produce all the games. That's not insignificant because it comes at a great cost. It'll cut into that money. Cool about the schedules. They're going to play most of the games Saturday, Wednesday. So perfect for <clears throat> whip around, goal casts. Wonder where they got that idea. Uh, and it'll, this package will, of course, include not just MLS Next, MLS Next Pro, uh, Leagues Cup as well. So $2.5 billion. That's a lot of cash, Herc. So you're now the commissioner of MLS. The big check just came in. What are you doing with the money? Take the training wheels off. No more DPs, no more GAM, no more TAM. Teams are already spending mm-hmm. $20 million upwards of that anyways. So just set a, set a roster limit, set a salary cap at $30 million. And get whoever you want for those $30 million. The DPs, the players, whoever you want to make the higher end of that spectrum, you make them that. But we're getting situations right now where some teams, 45, almost 50% of their salary cap are going to three players. Mm. So spread the wealth. Make them managers of their own destiny. Uh, Take those training wheels off. No longer is the league in control of how that money is spent. I get what you're saying, right? You're, you're saying make the product better, and I think we always think well, on-field product, right? Get better players, better product. Um, that's what you should do with the money. You're not wrong. 
I'm not going to suggest you're wrong. Let me, let me suggest something else. I think MLS needs to create an emergency fund, Herc, for its big markets that are struggling. Your New Yorks, your Chicago's, your Washington's, your Boston's. This money needs to make those markets better. Because what MLS needs is to break through in the big media market circuit. And right now, I feel like that's where the league is weak. So whether it's maybe buying out some owners who may not be able there to spend it at the current MLS rate. That's what or it maybe is. It's, or maybe it's helping them with real estate acquisitions, right? Getting into downtown areas. Because that's the other thing. There's a lot of teams around Major League Soccer that have a New York or a Chicago or a Dallas on their shirt. But they're not really playing there. And I think that hurts the league. So I think there's some, there's some big opportunities for MLS in big markets. And this money needs to go to capitalizing on that. So the smaller market teams have better owners is what you're telling me. Well, I don't really count Seattle and Atlanta as necessarily smaller markets, but they do have better owners. You're going to compare yeah. them to a Chicago or a New York? Yeah, they do have better owners. There's no doubt about that. And that's the thing. You're seeing in Major League Soccer absentee owners. Mm. And if you have absentee owners who don't care about the product on the field and who are saying, hey, this is a pot anyways, so the rest of them are going to work for me, well, then you see the product on the field. You see the end result, the end product. And that's the issue, one of the issues that you say here. Uh, fans are tired of these absentee owners. They want to see investment. They want to see competitive growth. And when I speak about competitive growth, is owners who want to win. That will breed talent. That will breed product. Yeah, let's not blow this out of proportion either, right? The, the, the billion sounds like a lot. But when you, and remember, I mentioned MLS now has to produce all the games. Yes. When you factor that in and you break it down over 10 years, it's, it's really less than like $10 million per team per season. So it's important money, Herc. But, you know, words like game-changing and transformative, uh, maybe it's not quite that. We do have some MLS uh, on ESPN coming up this weekend. Some big games, too. Some big games, Herc, in the Western Conference, out where you are. Seattle and LAFC. That one's Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on ABC in English, ESPN Deportes in Spanish. Saturday, what a day of MLS. A little bit after that, at 5 p.m., we got the LA Galaxy. Hey, Again, Portland I'll be there. Timbers. You're going to be calling that one? Okay. Uh, ESPN for English, ESPN Deportes for Spanish. A banner Saturday of MLS soccer on ESPN and ABC. Right, uh, so very exciting times. Next week on Monday's edition of Football Americas, we're going to be back on the road to Qatar. Sam Borden's one-on-one with Walker Zimmerman. That's it for us. Herc, have yourself a great weekend. Happy Father's Day. I know you'll be celebrating. Love.